You're listening to the Life's Too Short podcast, produced by Partners in Care, home to Central Oregon's only hospice house. Discover more about our new hospice house and other outstanding services at partnersbend.org. The views, information, or opinions expressed in the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent Partners in Care and its employees. Hello and welcome to the Life's Too Short podcast. This is Jason Medina. And Lisa Hurley. You are listening to a podcast produced by Partners in Care, home health and hospice located in Central Oregon. Jason, thank you for the coffee yet again. You know, it's so my pleasure. And seriously, I know you think I'm doing you a favor, but I got to tell you, working from home, I'm going kind of nuts, and so any opportunity I have, even to get out for 15 minutes to to run an errand, and that includes getting coffee for you before we record an episode of the podcast, is is mutually beneficial. So I know, I know people think, "Wow, how altruistic he is," but really, no, I <laughs> I get something out of it too. Oh, okay. So you're welcome then. <laughs> yes, Lisa. <laughs> thank you for drinking coffee, though. If any beverage, I would well, I would go out and a Diet Coke. If you desired a Diet Coke for our recording, I would go out and grab you one. I just wanted on record that next podcast recording, I am getting your coffee and I am getting you a venti quadruple shot, whatever you want. It's my treat next time. But well, I wanted to you. say thank you. I love my coffee. Where did you get it? I stopped by Joe Mama's. They have a drive through in Northeast Bend. I haven't stopped there many times, but I thought let's try something new. And how is the vanilla latte treating you? It's great. It's it's a little warmer today, so I love the iced coffee. It's awesome. Joe Mama did a great job. They did. I experimented, tried something new between all of their flavors, and I got macadamia nut. It's kind of a gamble anytime you do nut. Like I'm not a hazelnut guy. I usually don't go nut, but I am pleasantly surprised how well the macadamia nut is. A well, nice good. iced macadamia nut on a warm afternoon as we record. Well, thank you, Joe Mama. Yes. Joe Mama or Joe Mamas? I think Joe Mamas. And ah, multiple mamas. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we bring on our guest, who's also enjoying her own cup of coffee to, to remain amped for this wonderful podcast. Lisa, we have both worked in hospice for for several years. What is one or two things you think you've learned about veterans because of working in the field of hospice? That's hard. And because everyone is, is an individual, I can't really speak to sort of blanket veterans as a group because obviously every veteran comes with their own experience, right? Where they served, when they served, were they in combat, weren't they in combat? Every story is different. The thing for me, I don't know if it's so much what I've learned, but what I or we hope to provide is that our veterans served us when we needed them, and we want to be there to serve them when they need us. I'll be really curious as we talk to our guests, hospice utilization for the people that keep these types of statistics, I think has been a bit underutilized in the veterans community in the past. And I I think it's growing and it'll be interesting to see why that is. And I certainly am not an expert to, to speak to that. But just going back to the overarching mission of hospice is that we want to serve people well and we 
definitely want to serve our veterans as well as we can. How about you? You've worked with a lot of veterans over the years. I have mainly as a chaplain. I've had the huge privilege of visiting World War II veterans. Combat has changed over the years and how technology within combat has changed over the years. And I think the second thing I've really learned is depending on when someone served can bring out sources of trauma, sources of grief, sources of shame, sources of pride. Mm -hmm. If it's a Vietnam veteran who unfortunately was spat on when they walked through the American airport coming back from their tour or someone coming back from Persian Gulf in the early 90s and was well celebrated, when someone served plays a huge bearing on understanding what does it mean to support them, especially at end of life. I'm so excited for our guest. Allison Perry, the founder of the Central Oregon Veterans Ranch, is here with us today. Truly honored to have her for the work that she has done for our veteran community. We're excited to, to learn more about Allison, her passion for helping veterans, the ranch, and just to let our community know the resources that are out there for our fellow veterans, what they are, and, and even as a community, what more can we do to help? So welcome, Allison. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, to talk with both of you today. Well, we're excited to have you, as Lisa said. I'm curious, are you from Central Oregon? I'm not. I'm actually originally from Georgia, and I lived in Georgia until I was 28 when I relocated across the country to Portland for graduate school. And what did you study when you relocated? I have a master's degree in counselor education. I actually started my graduate program one month to the day after 9-11. My brother is still active duty military. My brother was active duty military at the time. So that was a profound time to be starting a graduate program in mental health. Not only were you observing this as a graduate student, but as a family member as well. A hundred percent. And one of the things that really struck me, and I share this story often, is that in our orientation on October 11th, 2001, for about 150 students going into four different tracks of counseling, all of the professors from the program were present that evening to, to say a piece, not one of them mentioned 9-11. It really struck me. It really blew me away. And I, I think it sort of parallels a lot of the military veteran experience in our nation, where there's such a small percentage of individuals that serve in the military, that there's often a disconnect, right, between the general public and service members. So that was one of my own first experiences with that, having a family member and knowing that there could potentially be a very very direct impact on our family. Was your brother's military experience sort of an inspiration for your work, your future work with veterans? A hundred percent. It was the primary inspiration, Lisa. I got my master's degree. My goal was to go into private practice and I was hired into the practice where I did my internship. You know, I hit the ground running, but I had gone through this very profound experience. So my brother deployed for the invasion of Iraq in 2003 as an attack helicopter pilot, yeah, flying Apache helicopters, which are the attack helicopters. And so that was a profound experience. I remember coming into classes in the evening at graduate school with pieces of cardboard that my brother had written me letters on, because this was before there was any infrastructure in the country. You know, we've been in these wars in Iraq and Afghanistan for 20 years now, which is really hard to believe. 
my brother was sending back rugs and gifts from Iraqi markets. And he was there with the, when the fall of Saddam happened. So he was sending back Iraqi dinar. It was um, a profoundly impactful experience, as you might imagine, as well as the fact that my brother and I are 13 months apart. And we grew up in a family where we experienced our own trauma for different reasons in our family. And so we, we already had a very strong, special bond with each other. Going through that experience of having him deployed to a war zone for a year, especially during that very uncertain, scary time after 9-11, when we went to Afghanistan and Iraq, that was really the turning point for me. And that's what led me to seek out working with veterans more directly and what led me to a six-year career at the VA. Is that where you ended up going after doing private practice as you shifted over to the Portland VA? I was in private practice practiced for about a year and I ended up um, cold calling the Portland VA Medical Center. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of a persistent person, which some of your listeners might pick up on as we... <laughs> <laughs> no, not you. <laughs> um, I don't get up easily for better or for worse. And so I, I called the Portland VA Medical Center three times. Someone had given me the name of the co-manager of the mental health clinic there. Her name was Rebecca McBee Wilson. She was a social worker that had been there for 30 years. And by the time she was able to call me back, she said, I'm so sorry, we have a wait list. And, and I said, well, I, I, I know you're busy. I'd really love to come in and do an informational interview with you. And she said, well, I'm actually going to interview you because we have to get this wait list down and I need somebody in the mental health clinic as soon as possible. So I went in, I met with her. It turns out her brother had been a helicopter pilot in Vietnam, and she hired me on the spot. So that's how I got in. Oh, wow. So what were your lessons learned in that first initial VA experience? Wow. Um, Many, Lisa, many. One of the things I was thinking about earlier when Jason was talking was about the difference in eras. And of course, I was more familiar with the generation of my brother with the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. And I have to say that because of that experience with my brother, every veteran that came into my office was like a family member. I treated them not as a number, not as somebody going through a big institution. And I saw the impact of that institutional care that's sometimes not helpful, let me put it that way. But I really started to pick up on the differences between the eras, the factors of when someone served on moral injury, on their psychological well-being, their spiritual health. And that was a tremendous learning experience. I had Vietnam veterans coming into my office during the intake, their knees and legs would be shaking and they would not be able to hold back tears. And they would apologize to me and they would say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I haven't talked about this since I got back from Vietnam. I had grown men in my office, you know, in tears who had not uttered a word about Vietnam to anyone since they got home. One of the big takeaways, and this has been one of the influences of my work with the Central Oregon Veterans Ranch, was not only that difference in eras, but age and what combat trauma looks like across the lifespan. That's one of the reasons why I'm really interested in the bookends of what does life look like for a combat veteran just getting out of the military? And what does it look like for someone midlife, later in life and at end of life? Because it changes and different life circumstances can trigger veterans differently. My passion is really combat trauma across the lifespan and those key developmental stages and how that combat trauma influences those developmental stages. So you were at the VA in Portland for how long? I was at the Portland VA for three years before I transferred to the Bend Clinic here in Central Oregon. 
Did you always have the idea of the ranch in your head and it just took years? Tell us a little bit about how it even started. Well, it was something that percolated after what I would call an initial flash of a vision in response to a case, a very specific case I had while I was at the Portland VA, right before I transferred to Bend. I had gotten the case chart of a 22-year-old veteran who had served in Iraq. He had also what we call MST, military sexual trauma. He had been sexually assaulted by his combat buddy when he got home. And he had also had a very disturbed childhood. So he was experiencing some symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia in addition to PTSD and military sexual trauma. Very traumatized young man, as you can imagine. Zero family support. So the VA was really his only support system. And viewed very much by the VA system as sort of a complex patient, high needs client. A colleague had been seeing him. He had dropped out of care. He came back and, and, and nobody wanted to work with him. And I thought, this is horrible. I said, give me that case. This young man has disturbed our nation in a war. Let me, let me have him, you know? <laughs> and so I and a social work colleague of mine, she was fabulous, Darla Darville. We, we took this veteran under our wing and really worked intensively with him. She was working with him on the social work needs. And one day we got a call. She was trying to help him with some of the financial management in his life. His life was pretty chaotic. And we got a call that he ended up in the psych ward of the medical center. It's 5C. It's the lockdown psychiatric ward. And that he was throwing furniture and threatening staff. And my first reaction was just anger because I thought if I'd been through everything that kid had been through and someone locked me up in a fluorescent white walled room with people poking and prodding me and trying to diagnose me and put pills down my throat, you know, I might just react the same way. And I looked at my colleague and I said, Darla, I wish we had a sheep ranch out east where we could send these guys when they got home. Here we are in this medical model, this institution that serves a purpose, that, that has a function. But again, it is a medical model and it's a disease model, right? So we welcome our veterans home from war and we put them into a system that often views them as broken or disabled. And we treat them like they're broken, disabled people. To me, that's one of the reasons we, we have such problems with truly reintegrating veterans and helping them adapt again to society and facilitating opportunities for them to do that. So it really was just this flash of a place of peace where veterans could be in community together and in the healing environment of nature. And that was really the idea of a PTSD ranch. When I actually relocated and moved here to Central Oregon, that's when the rest of the vision started to materialize. And that's when I started working with four groups of mostly Vietnam vets, some World War II, some Korean, and started to hear veterans say things about death and dying and end of life that were fascinating to me. That's when this other piece that we're working to incorporate at some point into the ranch. What if we could create this place where younger veterans of war could care for dying veterans of war and bring these different generations, these different bookends together for sort of a reciprocal healing a lot of people have dreams, visions, and ideas that never come to fruition because there truly needs to be that stepping out in faith. You can't focus on opening such a ranch like this and work full time because mentally and physically, you just don't have the energy at the end of the day. So tell us about that step of faith for you walking away from the institutional service of veterans to 
what you're doing now? Sure. That's a great question, Jason. And it truly was a, a leap of faith. But it also started very intentionally. I was applying for different jobs within the VA system. Doors were closing in the, within the VA system. And I thought, well, you know, maybe this is a sign. Maybe this is a sign to jump out and go pursue this vision. And part of it was through some work I had done with Sacred Art of Living Center that's here in Central Oregon. And that was very influential in my own spiritual growth, as well as I think reinforcing for me that I want really wanted to do this work, that this work was more aligned with my soul. And I, I felt such a disconnect, you know, often in the VA system, mostly because of the system, not because of my work with veterans. I took a, a position as a contracting officer representative, and that was really a gateway for me to go from, you know, I knew I couldn't just be a counselor and go start a business. I got trained as a contracting officer representative, actually moved back over here and worked at COCC for a little while in a Department of Labor grant. So I had some experience with federal grants and contracts and then took a position with another veterans nonprofit here temporarily as their executive director. So really just kind of got my feet on the ground with nonprofits and started to make connections in the community. And so I like to say that God kind of chewed me up and spit me out along these steps, you know, that I, I, I had about six to eight months of like, boom, 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 boom. Boom. And it was pretty miraculous because I remember talking to one of my Vietnam vet groups at the VA clinic about this. And they said, well, it'll take you about five years to, to get there. And it pretty much was about a five-year period before we really... Wow. Well, it, Interesting. It was, yeah. It was maybe a little less than that before we got to the property in 2015. To your point, Jason, about faith, I call it a co-creation. Everybody has a different language for God or, or their spiritual beliefs or spiritual system. But for me, I don't think this could have happened without some supernatural assistance and grace. Certainly, of course, the blood, sweat, and tears of many, many volunteers and people who believed in this vision. That's what resonated with me so much when I started this and gave me the confidence is I would tell people about the vision and they would say, I'm getting chills or they would tear up. And I thought, okay, so this is, there's something here. It's not just me. This is, this is touching people and moving people and I need to pursue this. I know it's been like any new endeavor, right? You start, you stop, two steps forward, three steps back, reinventing the idea, the processes, the, the programming. Tell us a little bit of the journey from 2015 of the ranch just to where it has evolved to today. So I'll say it was a fascinating experience to go from a vision to a reality because as we were in contract with an investor for the property that we're at, we didn't know if it was going to happen or not, but I knew this property was the property. I just knew, you know, it's it's in central Oregon. It's kind of equidistant between Bend and Redmond. So it's centrally located. I like to call it the heart of central Oregon. Postcard view of the Three Sisters Mountains. You know, it's 19 acres, 12 acres of irrigation. There were already sheep grazing on the property. Just kind of, you know, a kismet thing. And I thought, this is it. We got to go for it. We just had our six-year birthday, actually. So on April 20th, 2015 was when we closed with our investor on the property. And I remember thinking, oh crap, this is for real. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no turning back now. We have flood irrigation and we have to have people take care of this and mow the lawn and water the grass and water the pasture and uh, take care of the sheep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it really started out our, our, I would say our signature event that we started with that continues to this day is our Thursday workday. We had a list of veterans and veteran family members that had emailed us before we even had the property. And we had two young vets living on site to start and they called 
every single or emailed every single veteran that had contacted us and reached out to them. And many of them came to the ranch. So we hit the ground running. We had a veteran come out and do community service, a Marine Corps veteran going through the criminal justice system for a PTSD related event, come out and do community service. And he's still connected to our community six years later. So we really started out with engaging veterans in volunteer activities and and building community. Community is a word I use a lot because that's what the Veterans Ranch is. It's a sacred space, it's a sacred place, and it's a community. Over the years, we have built our agricultural operations as well as peer support services. And it's sort of the peer support is sort of a structured and an unstructured. One of the challenges in a way has kind of turned out to be a blessing or a mixed blessing was with this piece of wanting to add this end of life component in this specialized care. We have a home on the property that's been completely remodeled and licensed with the state as a foster home. So we still have every intention of opening that home for for residential care for veterans when the time is right. And there were, you know, different points where we thought we could launch it. We thought we'd be ready to do it. And as I look back, this is divine timing, right? I think we're right where we need to be right now and really building the strength and the foundation of this organization. And what we've managed to do is build a community that will be able to receive those veterans. I think had it been the other way around and we just opened the house, we wouldn't have everything we have out there now. You know, we have a greenhouse, we have a greenhouse business. We have our victory gardens, which is free community garden space for veterans and veteran families. We have multiple partnerships with the community, with Deschutes County Behavioral Health, with the Sheriff's Office, High Desert Food and Farm Alliance. We do a lot with them, including last year in the midst of the pandemic, we partnered together on a USDA beginner farmer rancher development grant which is a three-year grant to provide free one-on-one mentoring and education to veterans in farming and ranching. We have a combat veteran peer support group that's Iraq and Afghanistan veterans that's growing. We have a veteran-only AA meeting that is really starting to grow, and we're really in close collaboration with the county and Deschutes County Circuit Court. We don't have an official veterans court here in Central Oregon, but there is sort of an ad hoc effort to assist veterans going through the criminal justice system. So we get many referrals. And one of the mentors for that program is a Vietnam vet that's a co-facilitator of that AA meeting. It's been a beautiful thing to see those partnerships grow and to be able to deliver services with our partners and to continue to grow our agriculture and our peer support operations as we move more towards that uh, residential piece. In terms of how veterans find out about the ranch, is it through all those things you had mentioned, through the courts, through the sheriff's office? Is it through the VA? Or are there other venues and avenues that people use in order to, to find you? We have very strong relationship with the local VA clinic as well as with the vet center here. In fact, the vet center has been doing all of their PTSD groups out of the ranch since last July because of the pandemic. And then still serving counseling, which is an all veteran staffed counseling practice here in Central Oregon. So we have very close collaboration with them and and networking within the veteran community itself. So a lot of those referrals come from within the vet community itself and then veteran service providers. Also, we get folks who are looking for veteran services in the area. And one of the things that's really unique about the ranch, we will get calls from people. We'll get a call that's like this. I am looking for services for my son or for my boyfriend. 
he or she has tried everything. He's been to the VA. He's no longer going to the VA. Nothing seems to be helping him. I'm at my wits end. Can you help? Can you tell me about your program? And I tell them that it's a very strengths-based model. It's a model that focuses on post-traumatic growth and connecting veterans to each other and peer support. So it's a very non-stigmatizing model, right? It's more about, hey, come out and work outside, learn about hydroponics, have a free community garden plot. I call it going through the back door. It's not that, oh my gosh, you're having problems. You need to go talk to a counselor, which often is really the wrong approach to take with a vet. This mother called last year and said, we moved up here from California. I don't know what to do with my son anymore. He lived with her. He was on 100% disability. I was trying to gauge how shut down was he. I said, does he have any interests? Does he have any hobbies? I didn't know if he was just, you know, sitting at home playing video games and smoking pot all the time, because that's often, unfortunately, what people just end up isolating. She said, well, he's interested in photography, videography, and he likes growing things. And I said, let's get him out here growing things 100%. This is a primarily a combat veteran community. He will meet peers. He will meet people who are like him and have been through common experiences. And we are launching this Oregon Department of Agriculture hydroponics system in our greenhouse and classes. And we actually need videography and we always need, everybody always needs photographs, right? For marketing and social media. She brought him out and he's been coming out ever since, every week, several times a week. He's in our Iraq and Afghanistan combat vet peer support group. He's working in the greenhouse every single week. And we did a tour with some folks from the community, from local businesses. And I'm very cautious about exploiting veterans. So I don't ask them to speak unless they're absolutely comfortable. And this veteran said, I'll talk to them. I love the ranch. I want to tell everybody about it. He shared something that none of my team members or I had actually heard him say. He said, I have pretty much been isolated for the last eight years. I basically stayed in my room. And he said, the only time I left was to go to the bathroom. And that was usually to throw up until I found the ranch. There are veterans like this one that are very isolated. They've kind of given up. Their family doesn't know how to help them. They don't know where to go next. And then they connect in to this community and they form peer relationships and they connect to other services through the ranch and they find a new mission. They find a new purpose. They feel a sense of worth and value because they're giving back. They're not viewed as broken. They're not viewed as disabled. It's like, what can you contribute here? What can we give you through you know, our programs and what can you give back here to this community? And then we see them start to make plans and step out into the broader world and maintain their connection at the ranch, but really start to live life. If you haven't been to the ranch, it is spectacular. It is so beautiful. You just get this great feeling as soon as you walk on the premises. It's really amazing. You have to just go. Hats off to you, Allison. And I know it's it's taken a lot of people to make the ranch work. We're so thankful that you had that vision, you know, back in Portland, even if it was a fleeting vision. How have you grown or how have you been touched personally by doing all of this work and watching it grow and continue to grow? I'd have to say that it's been a tremendous journey of growth, both personally and professionally. And I think as you, you both know, when you work in an organization, especially a nonprofit, when you have a board of directors and you have volunteers, you work with many different people in different roles and much is required of you. Oftentimes, you kind of have to get out of your own way. 
It's humbling. I'm a big fan of the Enneagram. So <laughs> I've done quite a bit of work around that and, and understanding sort of what my gifts and challenges are and where my stuck points are and where my blind spots are. And so I didn't mention this before, but you know, outside of the professional piece, when I made this commitment, I knew it would be a journey of personal transformation. And I decided also to take that leap. And I said, you know, this may not be easy, but where I'm at right now, I could be in such a better place in life. And and there's stuff I need to work through and there's ways that I need to grow and change. And so I think having to really be humble and 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 learn from others and have mentors. And I've made mistakes. I've made some mistakes that I regret, but to have learned from those mistakes and really learn how to access wisdom and experience from other people and, and, and learn about leadership from others has been very personally transformative. People will ask me frequently, do you live at the ranch? And I'll say, do you live where you work? But then I'll also talk about, you know, like, And I'll I'll talk about how Mother Teresa is one of my icons. You know, she's one of my role models, particularly because of her persistence. And a lot of people don't know that she struggled for years to get started in what she was doing. And she was even rejected by her own order when she was trying to start her work. And so she was just a very, very persistent individual. You know, I say, well, Mother Teresa is my role model, but I am not that unselfish. You know, so, and I selfishly get a, a tremendous reward out of going to an incredibly beautiful place to work often, you know, a lot of my work is offsite, but to go to that environment and to see the veterans out there and to feel like I am a part of that community, they are benefiting from this community. I just, there's just nothing more gratifying. And to know that I have to continually grow and make those self-sacrifices and and work with many different types of people to make this successful so that they can have that experience. I've learned so much from so many amazing people who have so much more experience than me, including many, you know, retired military officers. I've had the privilege to work with some people that have had tremendous careers and backgrounds, including many career military people. So that's been, that's been wonderful. So people can just call the ranch, maybe not even really know exactly what they need, but you're there, you'll answer questions, guide to if the ranch is the place for what they're looking for. Absolutely. And, you know, our contact information, our website is covranch.org. All of our contact information is on there. And anyone can call or email us and reach out for sure with any type of question. Great. For those listeners who would like to support you in the work you're doing in your endeavors, how can they support you financially or what other support may you be looking for besides financial? We're always looking for hay. (laughs) Oh, seriously? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Really? Hey, yes, yes. Because Okay, hey. We're actually working with a team of mostly veterans right now, some of the mentors for our USDA grants. We're about to do a very big pasture rehab project. And so our animals have to be off the pasture for the next year. So those are the, those are really the nuts and bolts types of things that we do need in terms of in-kind donations. Obviously, financial contributions are always welcome and help us to be able to do what we do. And people can find out different ways to contribute through the website. We also have our Peace Garden, Lisa, which I think you've seen out at the ranch with our Eagle Man sculpture, where we sell bricks as sort of as, you know, we call those our cornerstone members to contribute a thousand dollars or more. And we're also launching an initiative this year for people to be able to sponsor a garden plot for a veteran for one year. And so that can be an organization, a civic group, an individual to make a thousand dollar contribution. And we'll recognize that individual as the sponsor of that garden plot which which those plots are for veterans and veteran families. So there's some unique ways that people can contribute. 
always looking for food for our animals, feed for our chickens. Those things always help out. And then also because we have probably about 50 to 70 vets between all of our groups and our volunteer efforts come out every week. So we're always looking for donations of water or healthy snacks. I, I don't like to feed our veterans hot dogs and those types of things. So like protein-based snacks, nuts, power bars, they're out there working hard. And as we approach summer, you know, they need to be hydrated and have healthy fortification. So those are, those are some ways that folks can help out. And then can people buy the produce that you grow, the hydroponic and other things in the greenhouse locally here in Central Oregon? That is a wonderful question and allows me to share with you that we sell all of our hydroponically hydroponically grown lettuce to Kefi, the Greek restaurant on the north end of Bend. Really? Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. And it's a good restaurant. I love their food. They're family owned. It's a Greek family. They have amazing food. Their kitchen manager is a great friend of ours. She caters for us as a volunteer at the ranch. So that's one way to get our lettuce that's grown. The other event that we have is our plant sale. The plant sale always falls on that third Saturday of May, which is Armed Forces Day. So that is an opportunity. There's information about that on our website. You can also contact the organization for more information. But that is a way that we really welcome the community out to come see the ranch and experience it because it is, for the most part, it is a very protected environment for our veterans. That's part of the intervention. It's part of the therapy is the safety of that environment for them. But the plant sale is really an opportunity for the broader community to come out and we're going to have live music. We'll have a couple of bands. We'll be selling food and we have vegetables herbs, and some other plant starts. Great. That sounds like a, a fabulous event. Well, Allison, thank you for taking the time to be a guest of ours on Life's Too Short. We love the work you're doing. We are thrilled about watching it continue to evolve. We hope through the podcast, you'll either have people reach out for support or people who are willing to support you. But thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Allison. Lisa and Jason, thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure to, to be with both of you. You know, we, we've always been big fans of Partners in Care and the work that you do there. We've collaborated on some things together in the past, and we look forward to doing that more in the future. And I just appreciate the opportunity, and I hope I can speak for our veterans that we serve and say thank you for really giving us some time to share what we do with people. It is our pleasure. Thanks, Allison. Well, this is Jason Medina. And Lisa Hurley. And you've been listening to Life's Too Short. 